0: You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: Welcome, fellow island lovers. You're listening to A History of the Caribbean in 100 Objects.
0: This is a podcast about the rich history of the cultures and societies of the Caribbean told through objects from the earliest period to modern times. I'm Alice Sampson, I'm a Caribbean archaeologist and a lecturer at the University of Leicester.
1: And I am Angus Moll, I'm also a Caribbean archaeologist and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford University. So what will we be looking at today, Alice?
0: Well, today in, in this episode, we're going to talk about um, something called a beaded Zemi or the Pigorini Idol. A bigger what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so the Pigorini um, is the name of a museum in Rome. It's the National Museum of Prehistory and Ethnography, but it originally came from either uh, Haiti or, or the Dominican Republic. And as for Zemi, well, that's not an Italian word. In fact, it's an indigenous Caribbean word that's been filtered through Spanish and Italian translations from the from the 15th century. But before we enter the strange and wonderful world of, of zemis, um, perhaps we'd better describe the object. Angus, describe this very complex object.
1: Yes, yeah, that, that, that will take some time because it is a very, very interesting and, and multifaceted object. Mm. Uh, it is, in fact, a three-dimensional standing figure. It is... About 30 centimeters high and one of its most defining features, although you would not see that right away from the pictures if you look at it, but actually has two faces. There's one face on the front and there's one on the back. And uh, let's just talk a little bit about these faces first. And the face on the front, well, if it's the front, you know, it's it's three dimensional, so you could look at it in multiple ways. But what people often consider it to be the front, it's a dark brown face and it's inlaid with two bright white shell eyes and the, the shell eyes have black pupils and there's this very nicely modeled uh, three dimensional um, nose and an open mouth. And at the side of the face, you could even see what's a little bit of, uh, of hair, I think. Uh, and you, it's kind of hard to see because the face is sort of encapsulated and on top of of it's also on top of the head is, um is a hood or some, some sort of headgear, which is, um, the headgear and actually the rest of the figure as well is covered in, well, I don't know how many, but thousands and thousands and thousands of multicolored tiny beads. Multicolored is means black, red, white, blue and green. And interestingly, talk about the, the top of the head again a little bit. It's flat. It's not, it's not like a conical head or anything. It's a flat head. It's almost like a little platform itself. Maybe a little bit more about the beads they they cover it the entire body and it's and it's it's a very you know we talked about geometrical patterns uh I think last episode right uh when it came to um when we talked about the body stamps, similar sort of geometric patterns can also be found here, and the patterns are predominantly in red and white with a little bit of a detailed giving detail giving with black beads and yeah, if you have to compare it to something it it looks like um. Like the skin of a, a coral snake, a red coral snake. Just, I'll, I'll put up a picture of that as well, uh, just to give you the, uh, like, uh, the comparison there. Um, there's, aside from just being geometrical patterns, there's also, it's also very clear that there's uh, anatomical things going on with this figure. So it, you can actually see little hands also made by my, by beads, by beadwork, or a collar, or like a sort of a thing that's wrapped with black, black beads around the figurine's uh, sides. And, yeah, another very... <laughs> There's so much to talk about here, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Another it's, it's, b- yeah, it's... It's, it's,
0: it's very it's, busy. There's a lot going on in this object. There's a lot going
1: on. You know, the idea of horror vacui, the, the idea that people are a- a afraid of empty space. Well, that's definitely going on in this object. There's very little empty space. Um, except maybe you could say empty space. The only empty space here is very reflective because he has uh, two little mirrors uh, which could be ear spools, there could be other types of adornments, but what would have been, now maybe not so much anymore, but would have been very reflective uh, surfaces. And um, We're still at the front of this object. We have to turn around, we have to, you know, work with me, people. We are now in our mind's eye, we're turning around this object and we're looking at the back. What do we see there? We see two of the same type of mirrors that are uh, on the front of the object, the same type of patterning, and another face. But this face looks very different to me. It reminds me a little bit of those Waisa faces that we talked about in our very first episode, because it has these big eyes, not it made the same way, you know, so not with shell work, but with uh, well we can talk a little bit about what, what's in there later. And the rest of the face, it's not it's 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 beadwork as well. So the face on the front is not beadwork, it's it's modeled in something. But the face on the back is all beadwork, which gives it a very alien, I would say, or other than human or superhuman, whatever you want to go with there, because we're going into the realm of not human, basically, face. It's just, it's just a beautiful object. I mean, the face itself, you can, you can, you can stare at it for, for a long, long, long time, right? This is one of those times that you really have to go to our website, people, and just have a look for yourself.
0: A- absolutely. And if you're fortunate enough to go to Rome, um, then go to the Piggarini Museum and, and check it out. Um, I would say, I mean, it looks, Basically, yes, like a like a giant beaded uh, tea cozy and and with with the face on the back or the mask on the back, a, a pair of large green uh, goggles covering the eyes. it also looks it looks like quite a um a sort of doll with movable parts as as well mm-hmm. uh, right. it look and it looks like it comes apart in various ways. like the top might separate. From the from the bottom part of it, maybe it's some sort of container. I don't think anyone's done. I don't think anyone's x-rayed it or had a look at had a look at it in in, in detail. But maybe it does it does come apart. It also looks like some of the some of the bits um, might be movable. Like so, so I think the platform on top opens up like a flap. I've seen I've seen a, a photograph of it in a in, in a book that Bernardo Vega uh, wrote about it, in which the the, the top of it is, is sort of flapped up, um, and 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 maybe the mask can be raised. Also, the sash around the bottom. Part of it um, looks like it could be. It could also be detached, and it might have been adapted from a real belt or a real sash that someone uh, might have worn. Because even though this the figure itself is 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 quite small, it's only thirty centimeters high and about sort of I don't know twenty or thirty centimeters round. Um, the sash is wrapped sort of one and a half times around the object, so mm-hmm. it, it might have been a real might have actually been worn once and you actually sort of want to yeah pick it up and play with it and explore its capabilities right it's like one of those toy dolls that 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 can talk and and cry and 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 pee you don't know what it's going you don't know what's going to happen until you can actually interact yeah
1: interact with it yeah no i think that's it's it's a very interesting thing that you say this because this is one of those objects that you need to to interact with right and that's really because it's just so wonderfully made and uh, mm. that it has this uncanny nature of, of almost reaching out to you even even as a even as an image it's it's something that you just reaches out to you um, mm. that is of course because there's such great craftsmanship involved in making this object and the all the different materials like the beads we already talked about the beads have been so carefully selected. Can you maybe tell a little bit more about what's going on here in terms of the actual raw materials that have been used to create this this enthralling object?
0: Yes, I mean certainly. If you look at if you look at what it's what it's made of, that's where it gets really interesting. So, so even it, more, <laughs> even more interesting. Yeah. So basically, it's it's a cotton mesh in which beads have been sort of knotted and sewn. It's entirely encrusted with beads, and each one is individually attached to this um, cotton mesh. And this cotton mesh is mounted on a wooden frame. Um, and the hair is made of vegetable fiber. And the beads are a lot of them are manufactured locally in the Caribbean, so they're probably made of things like um, uh, labatus gigas, which are the little white, tiny little white shell beads, and um, the the red or the pinkish ones are probably made with with carnasada um, beads, and it's also some some are not just shell beads there are also there are also beads made of seeds and there's even a piece of hammered gold in in the back of one of the eyes um and hammered and, and gold is is found in the Caribbean place of gold can be found in 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 rivers for example in in Hispaniola and we know that native people um hammered um um gold um but it's One of the fascinating things about it is it's basically, it's a transatlantic object and it's made with materials from three continents. So as well as the Caribbean beads, you've got European glass beads in there. The um, ear spools or these sort of big round decorations on the front and the back, which you mentioned, are actually inlaid with Venetian mirrors. Wow! And the face itself, people used to think it was made of wood. The face is not made of a a sort of dark brown polished wood. It's made of rhino horn from Africa. Right,
1: rhinos. we don't have them yes. in the Caribbean, eh?
0: <laughs> we don't. We don't have rhinos in the Caribbean. Fortunately. No. No. But we, we, we know about this because you know, various people have analysed it, including uh, Bernardo Vega. And it was also um, examined in quite some detail um, when it was borrowed from the Pigorini Museum for an exhibition in uh, New York's Museo El Barrio in the 1990s. And, and it's published in a, in a catalogue there and described, um, described there. And we'll, we'll put a link to, 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 to that um, publication so you can learn more about it
1: just let's wrap our head around it. So this is actually a transatlantic object. This is, Mm. this is one of those stereotypical objects for the Caribbean. If you think about it as a modern day cultural construct, right? Composed of so many different things and enthralling and there's so much going on. It's, it's, it's very cool. And at the same time, it's very mystifying because, so if we want to talk about what is this object, what is it actually could, because it's, could it be an African kind of fetish, right? Where, so, so, the, earth, some of the earliest enslaved people that were working on plantations in, for example, Hispaniola, that they take it and then just make, you know, incorporated local materials there. On the other hand, it also really looks like what people refer to as Taino, right? I would say it's definitely not just African or just Taino. And mm. you know uh, someone else who would also say that is Peter Rowe, friend of the show, in terms of that we've mentioned him a couple of times again. Peter Rowe, friend of the show, that rhymes. <laughs> that's that's cool. We have to get Peter Rowe on the show sometimes just so we can make his name rhyme all the time. And I'm just doing it a lot. I don't know what's happening here. Peter Rowe. He has he always has the most wonderful ways of putting things into words that we're all thinking, and he calls this particular object A meeting of worlds, and that's what it is, really. Um, Well, that's what it is in a very metaphorical way. But what is it in terms of how did it function? (laughs) What what what's going on here?
0: Yes, how it functioned. I mean, that's that, that's another mystery, I suppose. I mean, we know of objects that are similar to this um, from the Caribbean, and we also know that the the, the, the chroniclers, of so the early uh, Spaniards who wrote about um, the Caribbean when they went there, were also f- equally fascinated by 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 such objects, and they described um, things like beaded belts, um, which they liked collecting. They collected as tribute, and they sent back to they, they sent them back to Europe, and then that's how something like this ended up in 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 a museum in italy they were very impressed with the with the workmanship of such objects so de las casas um describes um these belts as or belts similar um to, to the lower sash on this pigerini um zemi as looking so well woven and tough that they could probably withstand the blast of an arquebus which was which is like a, a small cannon or a, or a musket
1: wow so that means that beaded textiles that were that this thing is also made of could actually function as some sort of armor right and could that then mean that the pigarini figure is actually representing um like an amerindian warrior in in a caribbean equivalent of of chainmail?
0: it's possible it's certainly possible i mean Los Cas- las de las casas also says that that you know, such such belts, such glamorous belts, were made with such skill and made were made of such precious materials that they were similar to precious church vestments and similar to um, clothing worn or by by kings and nobles in 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 Europe. And they were sent back to Europe, and you know, possibly sported by you know the people who collected these things. Um, so the chroniclers also. Sort of write about how um these beaded belts and aprons and and skirts were worn by high status indigenous leaders both both men and women
1: right to just pick up a little bit on those on those beads and it being high status because there are tiny tiny beads that we're looking at right Mm. and often we don't in in, you know in modern days beads are also they're like trinkets trinkets they're not very important to us anymore And they're often part of cheap jewelry kind of things. But that's not what's going on here, right? Because these beads would have been excruciatingly difficult to make, especially at this size. So now we sometimes like big beads because they're nice and pompous. But I think that smaller beads would have been even more valued if we're going to go back to around the time that this object was uh, was made, which, well, you don't even really know what time it was made. But, uh, you know, uh, somewhere in the meeting, uh, during the meeting of, of worlds, uh, period. To get back to the idea of yeah, I mean, I, I like, I like <laughs> the, the metaphor.
0: period, you've just invented a new period. I,
1: I, I, that's that's what archaeologists <laughs> get paid for, right? <laughs> this The meeting of world periods is as, which as long- is
0: probably somewhere around you know fourteen ninety two to around the fifteen twenties, fifteen fifties. I mean, possibly you know this was this might have even been made up up until the early sixteen hundreds.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it, going back to the idea that this is an important person, maybe maybe an important. Warrior, or just another important mm-hmm. person of rank, uh, could could that be a thing, or is as I'm now reaching for something that is not there simply because the object was itself valuable, that it was also representing somebody elite.
0: Well, I mean, you know, that's that's a very um, interesting point that you raise. I mean, it certainly was a very valuable object, which probably meant many things to many people, and that's one of the reasons it's travelled, you know, halfway around the world and ended up in in you know. In a national museum in Italy, and being lent out to prestigious ex- exhibitions in in New York, there's something about this object which draws people in, and which is, you know, maybe it has it does have an intrinsic value, perhaps in in the beauty of its craftsmanship. Um, Peter Rowe, our friend Peter Rowe, a friend of the show, um, <laughs> um, has characterised. Um, uh, sort of. Oh, he discusses this as, as an as an item of um, shamanic art, okay? And and he he thinks that the two faces represent this idea of, of of dualism and transformation, and that's that's what's going on with the double face. And he sort of discusses it in terms of the sort of the the rhino horn face being the face of the living, and then the the mask on the back being being the face of the dead. I mean, certainly in its exotic materials and in the fact that it's so highly crafted and would have taken a huge amount of, of labor and skill to make. It certainly harnesses the power of three continents, which would have made it a very powerful Zemí indeed.
1: Right. And that's, that's I think, part of the other power that's going on with this object that would have most definitely been part of the power for the indigenous people of the Caribbean themselves when they were confronted with objects like these, because we call them Zemís, but actually you should talk about it as an object having Zemí. It is, uh, Zemi is a property um, in or one of the Aracon languages that was spoken. This is also not our own invention. This is once again José Oliver, another friend of the show, although this time it doesn't rhyme. Um, <laughs> José, friend of the show. No, that also doesn't work. Well, we have to, we have to think of something to make it rhyme. But José Oliver um, has also written about, well, he's not also written, but he ha- he's written a lot about this idea of Zemi or Zemiism. And he traces this term back to um, the Locono and modern-day Arawakan language in which Semehe or Semehe means something sweet. And it's something sweet. You know, something sweet. What's that? That's sugar. Sugar. That's something sweet. But here they're often referring it to in this language and in other uh, Arawakan languages as well as this something sweet being a spiritual essence, a numinous force, as anthropologists often like to call it. So... That's how if we start thinking, and you, you know, we, we, we are definitely much, very much enthralled by this object. So it has a certain numinous force for sure. If this is semi or if this is something else, I don't know, but it is most definitely a very powerful object that maybe arises from the fact that it has a lot of Zemí.
0: Exactly, it's imbued with the zemi of 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 three continents. So it's a truly sort of transcultural object representing changes and transformations in in Caribbean material and cosmological worlds in the in the 16th century, and you know the ways in which people um, with African, European, and Indigenous belief systems were were, were brought together um, in in the Caribbean. And you know there there are similar objects. There are objects which are it's not in. It's unique, but there are objects which are similar to it. Um, so there's a belt in Vienna, um, which we know quite a bit about, because recently it's been uh, analysed by uh, a colleague of ours, Joanna uh, Ostapkovic, who um, works in, works in the Liverpool museums. And she's done a lot of work dating um um objects um such as such as these the, and the, the Vienna belt is simil- similarly incorporates Venetian mirrors um uh european metals such as brass and you were talking about the beads you mentioned the beads earlier but um she estimates that that this this viennese belt um incorporates over 11,000 um shell beads and she's also dated um the cotton and um and and the, the, the radiocarbon dates fall between, you know, 1475 and 1531. So it, it's also quite an interesting date range because, of course, 1475 is before 1492. Um, so before Europeans came, um, to the Caribbean and yet, um, it incorporates a lot of European materials. So either this was an object which has been sort of repurposed and refashioned and had bits added to it over time because it was so special or, or, or the dates are wrong and it's all like post 1500. But it, it, it is interesting to think um in in sort of what context this this object was used and made and many people have observed not just joanna but that there are the similarities the stylistic similarities between the this pigorini zemi and the vienna belt which also has a face on it um has suggested they were even made by the same by the same craftspeople
1: right which is quite interesting very cool so what, another interesting thing, we could probably talk, this is one of those objects that we could talk for ages about, but let's also still highlight it, that these objects, or this particular object, is now actually in Italy, in the, the Pigarini Museum that we already talked about at the beginning of this uh, podcast. So how did it even get there, right? That's This is an interesting question. So was there, there's so many scenarios we could think of because we don't actually know that much of what collectors or museum curators would talk the pedigree of this object before a certain moment in time. Um, that moment in time when we start, the, the Pigorini Zemi starts to become on a radar of the radar of the curators is the 17th century when it's reported as being owned by the Cospi family of Bologna in Bologna in Italy, who also had other precious items from the Americas, such an Aztec ritual book. And then in, um, at the end of the 19th century, um, in 1878, the Pigorini Museum actually acquired the, the, the Zemi uh, for, for its own collection. And it happened in before that 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 seventeenth that, uh, century date. We don't really know how it even got to Europe. It could be gift giving uh, f- through indigenous and European elites. It could be made even f- for as as a gift, uh, specifically a gift, or even maybe even to be sold or something like that to a European. It, it it's not inconceivable. Or it could be part of, unfortunately, the tribute relations that started during this period that I now refer to as the meeting of worlds, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that it simply had to be forcibly handed over uh, from whoever owned it before and then that's how it ended in this um, in european museum context however i i have to i have to say alice i've never seen this one uh, in real life it's one of those objects that is high on my wish wish list it's maybe in the top three even um have you ever seen it you're closer to rome than i am especially at the moment um have you ever visited it or have you ever seen it
0: I haven't, I really haven't, and I'm very tempted to, to, to get online and book an EasyJet ticket immediately and, and pop over and see it. But no, I've never I've never seen it physically. But yes, I think that's that's also number one on my on my wish list of, of things to see
1: there you go so um audience if you want to sponsor us if you want to sponsor some poor <laughs> academics just buy us an easy jet ticket to Rome, <laughs> and and we're just going to go there and we have a we will redo this episode spe- specifically for you no just kidding don't don't pay <laughs> don't go paying for us we don't want that sort of stuff we're doing this out of pro bono but um we do definitely would, would love to see this object in real life
0: we certainly would. And I think that, um, yeah, this, this concludes this episode then. So um please give us feedback. Um, we're still new on the podcast scene. So if you like what we do, then please give us a high rating on iTunes. Or share this, especially share this podcast with your friends and family.
1: And you can always reach out to us on Twitter at Shores of Time. Thank you so much for listening to this particular episode in which we just became completely lyrical about this lovely lovely object from the caribbean the Pigarini be zemi go to shoresoftime.com uh, where you can see illustrations and we also put up further reading on that spot
0: indeed and tune in next time
1: we will speak to you then goodbye for now and remember what the great great bob marley said in this great future you can't forget your past This podcast is part of the Creative Commons under the attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. And it was made possible thanks to a Rubicon grant from the Netherlands Organisation for Scientific Research.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.